This is the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast with Dr. Julie Capel, episode number 199. Hey, veterinary friends. Welcome to the Veterinary Life Coach Podcast. Today, I have a really special guest. I'm very excited. His name is Michael Harris, and he is the author of the number one best-selling book, Falling Down, Getting Up. He's a business coach, entrepreneur, yoga teacher, and he's the co-founder of Endless Stages, which I'm hope- hoping he'll tell us all about. Welcome to the podcast, Michael. Thank you, Dr. Julia. It's really great to be here today. I'm so and- excited to meet you. And I read your your bio and I just thought this guy looks fascinating. I, I think this is going to be fun. Yeah, well, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, I'm happy to have you. Can you just start by telling me your story? Sure. Uh, one of the things, and for some reason, this popping in, into my mind right now, and I, I have this goal in my life. It's it, I started out with this year, but it's really turned into my life. You know, a goal for my life, and I made a goal earlier earlier this year to hike up as many buttes as I can. And I, I live in, a, in an area in Central Oregon where we have buttes everywhere. I'll never run out of buttes to go up. Wow. That's and cool. I discovered, and most of it's off trail, they're remote, um, but I discovered that every single butte was different. And I, as, as I thought about it and I started doing more buttes, I realized that that's kind of like life. Every Thing, everything that we do, every mountain we climb up is different, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. And what's I've, the I've definition? No- Let me ask you this. This might sound dumb, but what's the definition of a butte? Like what qualifies a climb as a butte? Well, m- the buttes that I go up are all vo- volcanic buttes. So oh, like okay. Mount Hood is, is a mountain, a butte, but that's a, a big one. The big one, but, right? But most of the, the buttes that I do, you know, just in a day hike type thing are smaller ones. Okay. So and is it is it called a butte because it's part of a volcano? I'm sorry, I'm ignorant to this language. Well, that, that's a good question. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I grew up in Oregon, so I'm just so used to it. I've never really thought about it. See, I'm from Michigan. We don't have any mountains here, so. Right. <laughs> I've been to Oregon, but I've yeah. never, I didn't know that term. Okay. Sorry. I just, I just yeah. wanted to get a little bit more info. Yeah. So, and part of the reason I do that, and it, it comes out of, you mentioned the book too, the falling down, getting up. At, at one point I could barely walk 10 feet. Literally, I couldn't walk 10 feet. Wow. I was on a cane and it wasn't that way my whole life, but being able to hike up these mountains, these buttes is like a huge milestone for me. And, it, you know, I'm extremely grateful to be healthy. Yeah, today. absolutely. You know, and, you know, the, the book starts out to as a 12 year old kid, I had a water skiing accident and I hit the beach going way too fast. I was doing a beach landing. I was a hotshot water skier and I hit the beach. This is way back in 1971. And the first hospital I went to on the Oregon coast, they said I was just bruised up and I'd be okay. Mm. Well, that night I I was uh, throwing up blood and such. And it was a couple hour drive back to Portland to where 
he grew up where he lived and so mom took took us back over to portland and the next thing i knew was about 10 days later and i had had a near-death experience and i was waking up in a hospital bed in portland and it wow. turns out that i had had 60 percent of my liver removed i had a ruptured liver i had 21 blood transfusions cracked ribs collapsed lung and so, I mean, it was quite the ordeal. And uh. a couple, yeah, a couple of weeks before the accident, I was junior champ at Portland Golf Club as a kid. Mm. So, so, I mean, I, I was very athletic at the time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So. So almost died, all busted up. I imagine multiple surgeries. Actually, it was one surgery, about 20 hours long, one long wow. surgery. Mm. And I have my my blood is B positive, which is kind of like I am anyway. I like to smile and be positive. <laughs> so it's, it's like, you know, I don't know how they got the, the B plus, you know. But, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's it's a rare blood type and there wasn't a huge supply of it in Portland, but my surgeon was also B positive. So he stopped during the surgery while other people was, were still doing work and gave a pint of blood seriously to save a kid to save a kid that's super cool that's a great story yeah yeah, yeah that's amazing yeah and it, it's interesting even when i wrote the book and i went back and i you know asked some people i talked to some people about you know earlier and what happened around the water skiing accident and, and all that kind of stuff and one of them said the only thing that i remember the biggest thing that i remember is even in the hospital, you had a smile on your face. <laughs> you were always like that. You were always smiling. Yeah. I, I try to remember that because, you know, I'm like anybody else. I can get a little grouchy sometimes, but sure. I try to come back to, to the smile as much as I can. Yeah. So how long did it take you to recover from this accident? And so you were 12. What is that, like sixth grade, something like that? It was somewhere between sixth and seventh grade. So and, how long did it take you to recover? And is that when you s became this entrepreneurial spirit or what do you, what do you <laughs> think drove your, your journey? Well, it, it took this, I went to back to school in January rather than September. The accident happened in, in August in the, summer. In, in the summer. And I had a tube in the side of me, a drain tube that came came out in March. So that was in there for about six months. So when I went back to school, I still had that in the side. So I couldn't be my old athletic self, but they did a liver scan a year after the surgery and they shown that the liver had regenerated itself, you know, which in ruptures it does, but of course in cirrhosis or cancers, it doesn't. Right. You know, so I picked the right organ apparently. Well, too. yeah. And you were young too. That probably had something to do with it. Yeah. And I grew four inches that year. What? I mean, I, I was flat really? on my back so much that, you know, gravity wasn't pulling me down that I grew four inches. That's crazy. That's yeah. funny. Wow. Yeah. And I kind of stopped. I maybe grew another inch after that. So I, yeah. I'm 5'11". I mean, I'm not like 6'4", but I'm 5'11". And so I grew really fast. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. But I didn't always, I, mean, I, I mentioned too that I had a near-death experience. 
And when I left my Separate body from this was, one, like during this, you had the near death experience. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 Tell me about that. So I was in, in the coma and I had a near death experience and it was really at the end of the coma because I, I woke up when I came back. And so I left my body and I felt myself, I was in a garden and there were some spirits there. And there was somebody else that was there that I recognized because they were actually, when I was in surgery, I remember them in the surgery because I had a near-death experience or an out-of-body experience anyway. And there was a guy there, and I still talk to him all the time, Fred. And he had blue jeans and a red plaid shirt on, right? And this was like my spirit dude, right? Really? It, it wasn't some like mystical Indian name. Right. Type that you can't pronounce <laughs> yeah. it was Fred and the only thing that I could really understand about that was that the spirit was coming to me in the way that I could understand it okay because you were a kid I was I was a kid I was yeah. from Oregon you know I could understand it. a blue you know, jeans guy in a red plaid shirt you know in <laughs> blue jeans yeah um but when I came back to my body I didn't want to come back and I was reaching out and I said, I don't want to go back. And they said, well, you're not through yet. Oh, wow. Well, what, what's that been? 52 years ago now? And apparently I'm not still not through yet. Well, yeah, you're still here. Yeah. So yeah. what do you think about that? Like, was that heaven? Was that like, what do you think about that? Spiritual? Like, what? what's your interpretation? I've always thought that was fascinating when people say that they died and came back. Well, it, it was interesting because... Uh, I, I recognized it later and I realized it later as I took another look at it, that it was really the garden area of the hospitals, the best I can explain it. Because I remember when I saw the garden and, and leaving and even driving by the hospital going, that's where I went when I went out of my body, was mm. in that garden. Right? And you hadn't seen it before. No, nothing. No, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. I mean, I was born in the same hospital, but it wasn't a hospital that I ever remember going to. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, I also recognized at the time that there were other spirits around the hospital. I felt some of them were there to help and some of them were just kind of there, like maybe stuck there, like maybe they had passed, but I hadn't left yet. Huh. But I, I felt the garden area that I was in, it was, uh, and there were some other spirits there besides Fred, but I felt it was um, just filled with with peace, you know? So I, that's I why you didn't want to come back, because it felt right. good. It felt good. I didn't want to mm -hmm. go back to my body. Yeah. And I, I actually rebelled against it after my body healed. And I, my self-esteem was really bad. It wasn't good. Um, I didn't feel like the girls were going to like me and I couldn't, you know, perform in sports for a while. And so I, I was, I was really struggling. And so I started hanging out with some kids that like to smoke pot and drink. Mm. And so I started doing that, of course, as I did that, and as anybody that's been down that road before, you know, it was used in a way to make myself feel bigger than what I was, you know, and cover you felt, all of yeah. that. Yeah. yeah, you had some self-esteem issues that you were yeah. trying to fix. Right. Yeah. Right. So 
I dived into that for a number of years and, you know, was drinking and smoking and, you know, with all the other kids and um, into my 20s. And this is where the thing with the legs come in. At 27 years old, I end up at OHSU, Oregon Health Sciences University in Portland in the vascular department. And I was barely walking at the time. And they told me that my right leg was 100% blocked and my left leg was 65% blocked. And I had, this was the popliteal arteries and that I had atherosclerosis, peripheral vascular disease. Really? And, at, yeah. at 27? At 27. Wow. In both your legs? In both my legs. I so thought it was just happen? my right leg. But, well, all my blood panels were normal. My cholesterol was like 148. I mean, everything... All my panels were normal. Mm -hmm. Now, my dad had died a year earlier. He died young at 58 of a heart attack. Mm. His dad died at 52 of a heart attack. Oh, yeah. But they didn't really totally say it was hereditary. But I mean, I definitely think that it, it was a factor. That I think the thing that threw them off, my dad had high cholesterol. I didn't. Right. All my panels were normal. Mm. So they, they couldn't quite understand what it was or you know homocysteine or what, whatever it was that was affecting my system to create the atherized plaque right it was yeah uh, they, they didn't you know really what once they went in on one leg they went in and they just did with the bypass the fempop and then on the other leg they went in they actually took a piece of the artery out because they wanted to study and take a look at it a part of the diseased artery and that's where, you know, they, they really looked at that plaque and they sent it to, I think it's the, is it the University of Chicago that has some, some type of lab there that studies that. Yeah. They did that right. Uh, and that was in the 80s. So it wasn't as long as ago, but um, they initially told me that they were going to have to cut off my, both my legs. And I told them in no uncertain terms that they weren't going to do that. Wow. And then I ended up with some blood clots about a month after surgery. So I was back in the hospital again. And then back in May in 87, the following year, I was back there again. Hmm. And they said I needed more surgery because my arteries had reblocked after eight months. And I refused the surgery, left AMA against medical advice, much to their chagrin, but I did. You know? Yeah. And you were 28 then, right? Yeah. And I didn't, yeah, I was 28 then. I didn't know anything about anything particularly. I didn't know just anything. Knew about you didn't any, want I, more surgery. <laughs> I just, I, yeah, I didn't want more surgery. Yeah. I didn't want to be cut by another knife again. No. Well, I, at 28, that's, I mean, that just sounds crazy to me that you could be that your legs could be that diseased at such a young age. Yeah. Well, you know, maybe it was a combination of the hereditary. I was, smoking I, I quit smoking but I, I was smoking and you know that can certainly have effect normally not that quickly right yeah but it was what it was yeah okay so you left you left the second time I, I left I the second stop your story yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I ended up not right away but I I ended up at a place called pretty longevity center down in Santa Monica. This was in the 80s. I think that there's still one in Florida. It was started by a guy named Nathan Pritikin. 
and it was really a lot of it was weight loss. I didn't have a, a weight issue. Yeah. But a lot of it was weight loss. But in reading his book back then, it talked about how eating a plant-based diet can help reverse arterial disease. Mm. And I went, oh, isn't that interesting? I should go there. Yeah. And um, I convinced my mom to pay for it. And so I went down there. And at the time I was on a cane, I could walk maybe 10 feet, literally about 10 feet as mm. the claudication of my legs. Yeah. The pain from that. And the doctor down there, he said, when it hurts, I want you to walk more. And I said, what? <laughs> the, the doctors in Portland said, when it hurts, don't walk, you know, rest. Yeah. So he and, said the opposite. And he said the opposite. And this comes to really the natural healing idea. And he said, if you walk and you're in pain, what it's telling you is you're not getting enough blood flow to your legs. But the only way to create new blood flow is to walk into the pain to start building new collateral blood vessels. Huh. And so as yeah. I started doing that, within two weeks, I went from walking 10 feet to two miles. Wow. Now, how did you, I want you to keep going, but how do you get to that place mentally where you're like, you're telling the doctors you don't want any more surgery but and you're 28 and then you go to this place and you're like, oh, I'm on board. I'm going to exercise. Like, what's the mental, what are the thoughts when you're doing that? I, I was willing to do anything to get better. Okay. So it was the drive to, to be healthy. Right. You know, the, there's a lot of people that go through different challenges and they're suicidal and they don't want to continue to live. I right. always had a pretty strong will to live. Okay. That's good. You know? Even though I was angry at God for a long time, I still had a strong desire to live. Maybe yeah. it's just my stubbornness. You know, it's just <laughs> like, damn, I'm going to get through this, right? Like some of us are hard to knock down, right? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I, I'm one of those. Well, you can knock me down, but I'll get back up again. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I just kept doing this. I was walking up and down the boardwalk in Santa Monica from about the Santa Monica Pier down to Marina Del Rey and I just go back and forth up and down that that boardwalk and they had a yoga class there which was really more like a gentle stretching class it, it wasn't anything vigorous by any stretch of the imagination it's more right. like oh let's bend a little this way yeah, yeah. but yeah. I liked it and then when I went back to Portland and I went I started going to the gym and I was on the, the treadmill I would walk a lot in the, in the parks and outside in Portland, but I also did the treadmill at the gym and they had a yoga class there and I started doing more yoga and I really liked it. You know, I kept doing more and more yoga and it really became my thing for, you know, about five years. I started leading classes. I hadn't gone through any teacher trainings yet. And I was just, I was feeling better. You know, I was, you know, I went from falling over and downward dog to being able to do most anything. Yeah. Right? And then by the mid 90s, I had started making some money. I'd done a lot of option trading and started making a lot of money. And I decided I was going to take a couple of years off from that, um, from working. And I decided I was going to go to a bonafide yoga master 
to help me heal. And I looked around the country at some different yoga teachers that were around and and I had started doing uh, the Bikram Hot Yoga and I really liked it. So I found myself writing a check to Bikram and I went to his training in 98. So in the Bikram world, there's probably 20,000 teachers now. I was probably teacher 100 or something like that. Right. So it was right early that. on when that was all it, getting going. It was early on. Yeah. And one of the things that Bikram told me in the training you know, I, I'd asked him about some modification stuff. And he said, Michael, there is no modification. He says, you just do what you can. He says, don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just do the yoga. Which actually ended up being my single biggest yoga lesson I've ever had. Don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just do the yoga. Yeah. With You know, it wasn't like, how well can you do bow pose or, you know, some other posture? It was the mindset. And I wanted to worry about it. I didn't want to forget about it. I didn't want to do as much yoga as he thought I should do. But as I began to understand that, and the process happened within a couple of weeks, and as I did that, the remaining pain in my body was gone. That's fascinating. It's like, wow, okay. I ended up being the speaker of, of our um, graduating class. But I still had no intention of going and teaching. I had not. I just wanted You're just to just doing this for your body. Or for my body, because I was feeling better. Right. right. Yeah. But, but within a week, I'd gone back to Portland. Within a week, I was teaching. And within a year, I had my first studio. Okay. So you became an entrepreneur. I became an entrepreneur. But you, but you had a full-time job before this, right? Well, not really, because I've been I've been working for myself. I mean, okay. Last full time I job I had I quit in ninety four. Oh, okay. So I haven't worked for anybody since nineteen ninety four. So you've always been an entrepreneur. Pretty much, and it's <laughs> my dad was an entrepreneur. He owned his own businesses, and so I learned a lot from that. You know, and yeah, a lot of it yeah. with self sufficiency and taking care of ourselves. And, right you know, all of that. So he really ingrained that in me, even as a kid, you know, um, you know, even you, you may have, the, there was saying about being a Blackberry entrepreneur. I don't know if you, you saw that. Um, oh yeah. On your, on the list that of questions that you had. Yeah. yeah what yeah. does that mean? Tell me what that well, means. When, when I was six years old, you know, even by six years old, I knew what running your own business kind of meant you know, because of my dad and I would drive around with my dad to his businesses. And I kind of had an idea and he always said, find something that somebody wants to buy and sell it to them. Kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. That's a good, that's a good piece of advice. Yeah. Yeah. So all the kids in the neighborhood wanted to eat Mrs. Harris's blackberry pie, right? We had a couple (laughs) of acres and we had a bunch of blackberries in, in the field. So I'd go out and pick them and mom would make them. And the kids would come over and eat them. And one day I said, you know, mom, I says, why don't we sell these pies? And, and she said, you pick them, I'll bake them. We'll sell them for a dollar. I get 50 cents, you get 50 cents. Nice. So I started going around the neighborhood selling the blackberry pies to my friend's parents. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm, I'm kind of convinced that the Girl Scouts stole my line. <laughs> and, you know, the, the line that the Girl Scouts like to use is not, would you like to buy a 
box. Some I still hear when I go to the store. Right. You know, they're out there selling them. But I started saying, you know, how many pies would you like to buy? Yeah. Right? And yeah. so they, the Girl Scouts do that. How many boxes do you want to buy? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I became what I called the Blackberry Entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as a kid. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. But the thing about the yoga and, and, you know, I ended up with a couple of studios. I helped train six or 7,000 yoga teachers in about the 10-year period. I've taught all over the world. And then I set up a company called Yoga Business Expert, which was really focused on the business side. And so I would help yoga studios on the business side, essentially attract and enroll and retain new students. Okay. To build their, their, their business. <clears throat> to get their studio up and running. To get their, yeah, it could be a, a lot of it was up and running initially as more studios were coming online because there wasn't that many studios yet. But as more studios, you know, began to open everywhere. Um, I had a, a great business plan and I had some great marketing tools that, that I use in helping them grow. So I had clients all over the world with that. Uh, COVID helped close, kind of put the final nail in the coffin on that one. Right. You know, yeah. When COVID came in and I had some revenue share agreements, they all ended within six days of COVID started. Because everyone had to close their studios. Close the studio, and there was no revenue. Yeah, I know yoga was yoga was tough during COVID. Like you could do video, like videos, but there's something about at least when I do it, there's something about being in a class. Yeah. That makes yoga better. Yeah. Like Absolutely. doing it by yourself to a video. You know, sometimes I'll do it with my kids. My son went to India. Um, when he was in college and he learned how to meditate and do yoga, like for yeah. real, the Indian way. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when he came back, he taught me a lot of that, but yeah, there's something about the class situation for yoga that makes it better. Like, what is that about? Why well, do you think that is? You know, oftentimes traditionally in India, it is a self-practice and you're doing it on, on your own, but there yeah. is a certain motivating factor too, by, practicing with other people right and it's 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 like we're still doing our self-practice but we have people with us doing it we're all doing it together mm -hmm. you know following following a class right so i mean that there's power in it really in both ways the the meditation side is really an important side uh, my brother was a he passed away a few years ago but he helped, I don't know if you know what binaural beats are, but in meditation, um, you may have seen where, like, here's a headset right here where some people, like, use a headset in, mm -hmm. in meditation, and they're listening to music, and buried in the music are binaural beats, which helps you go to different wavelengths, you know, alpha, beta, theta, et cetera, the, the wavelengths, so... In the mid-80s, my brother was instrumental in introducing the binaural beats within the meditation music to help you go in deeper. Um, so that was kind of a big thing. He was really focused on meditation and I was really focused on yoga, you know. Okay, that's a good that's a good collaboration. Yeah, very, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. 
And then today, and I, I briefly mentioned this to you earlier, I had a, a client a, a number of years ago that was a vet. And she, she had um, her practice here for a number of years. She sold it a few years ago, or maybe it was right before COVID. And I haven't seen her for a while, but she had gotten in a motorcycle accident. She was a dirt rider. And this finger here was kind of gnarly. I can't really even like quite do it, but it was like pretty gnarly out. Yeah. She couldn't really ever do anything. But as she kept practicing, she kept practicing and she kept practicing. I remember one day in standing bow pose and your hand is like this, right? And you're stretching out like this. Instead of her finger being all bent up, she had straightened it out. Yeah. I said, look, look, look at your finger. And it was just like, <laughs> oh my God, because it had been that way for like it's a miracle. Years. Yeah. And it just opened up. Yeah, that's crazy. So, you know, I, I, I it sounds like you practice some, some yoga. I mean, certainly for any vet or anyone, really, for that matter. But there's so many benefits, not only just like that physical thing, but just the mind and relaxing the mind. And I call it the monkey mind. You call it the chihuahua mind. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if our definition is the same, but yeah. Tell me about the monkey mind. Because well, really, like, I I think I think you're right that yoga and meditation is all super important. But I know as a veterinarian, it took me a long time to buy in. And the reason that I bought in is because of my kids, number one, because my kids both got into yoga and meditation and they kind of encouraged me to as well. But then when I started doing the life coaching thing, I'm like, you know, that stuff all works and you need to do it. It's good for your body. It's good for your brain. It's good for your stress. So yeah. tell me about the whole monkey mind yoga connection from your perspective. Yeah. We, we could talk all day on this, right? <laughs> Yeah. Well, we can if you want. I, I yeah. don't have anywhere to go, so let's just keep going. <laughs> you know, I, I always thought this thing about monkey mind and, you know, this idea that, you know, the, the monkeys, in, in, in my mind anyway, I was envisioning monkeys that would come in and that would scratch around and that they wanted the bananas. They wanted something to eat, right? So I would feed them the bananas. Right. And yeah. then I realized I, I was in in Agra in India, where Taj Mahal is. And I was in the hotel there, the Taj Palace. And there was a bunch of monkeys running around the property. And one of the things that they tell you there is to keep your sliding glass door closed. It was a three story, if, as I remember, it's three stories. And the monkeys would jump up on the balconies and there would be a basket of fruit there you know, bananas and different fruit, and they would want it, right? Yeah. So they always said, keep your doors closed or the monkeys will come into your room and get it. <laughs> you know, a friend of mine that was also there, there's about a dozen of us traveling together. He left his sliding glass door open while he was in the shower and came out and the monkeys were there eating <laughs> all their food. In his and hotel room. In, the, in his hotel room. <laughs> and, and you know, monkeys are aggressive. Yeah, right? I know. They're yeah. scary. Right. They're, they're I, I admire scary. any veterinarian that works on primates because they are they have too many weapons. Yeah. And we have a primate center here in Central Oregon, too. Uh, that's another story. But um, so 
bringing this back to the idea of the mind, I realized that if I would put monkeys out or monkeys, if I would put the bananas out for the monkeys, trying to satisfy them, I was actually attracted. Yeah. So I had to stop putting monkeys out of my or mon bananas out of my mind to stop the monkeys. Right. Yeah. So what, once I did that, and I can't say I never get monkeys anymore in my mind. You know, it's not like it's always a peaceful place, but right. I don't have that vision anymore of the monkeys coming in and scratching and biting. Yeah. You know, it's gone. Okay. So tell me, so tell me, so I get this, the way you, the way you're thinking about this, because I, I know how I think of it. Yep. But when you say your monkey mind and feeding the monkeys, are you talking about the bananas are like all the negative thoughts and all of that that you're feeding the the thoughts or like what it what are you seeing as the bananas and what are the monkeys? That's what I want to make well, sure I understand your analogy. Sure. Yeah. Well, the monkeys were the the thoughts, but I mean, I could actually visualize the idea of monkeys and bananas, and that if I gave them the bananas, it would keep them happy. Ah, okay. I see. Right? What so yeah. you've got the monkey voices, which are my chihuahua voices, and you don't want to feed them basically because right. right. you'll attract more. Okay. Now I'll I get it. Okay. More. Sorry. I'm a little yeah. slow. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. So like, even in my yoga practice today, and I don't own any studios today, but I teach six to 10 classes a month or so. Okay. And my whole practice and the way that I approach teaching is really about calming the mind. And then, you know, that there's different ways to practice yoga and there's different breathing techniques. And the, the Bikram yoga, the normal breathing technique is just you breathe nice, normal, easy breath. You know, there's some other techniques where you're like vinyasa where you're, or ashtanga where you may be inhaling, exhaling, depending upon the movements. Bikram is actually more of a static, even though it's hot, the postures are static. Mm -hmm. you know, you're holding them for a certain period of time and then releasing them. Yeah. Which is interesting because the longest posture in the Bikram system is actually Savasana, relaxation. Okay, yeah. yeah. But so the, the whole idea is like when you're in your practice, whether it's, it's bow or what, whatever, posture it is you're breathing nice normal easy and calm so your breath is easy your mind is calm and you're still strengthening your body but your heart rate is up you might be sweating a little bit you know all these different and you're having all these thoughts because we can be in yoga and having the thoughts <laughs> about the person that cut us off in traffic or what i gotta yeah. do or relationships or what whatever might be yeah yet as we do our practice and we're learning to calm our mind when we do approach those other situations where somebody is cutting or cutting us off we may say oh that person must have their cat in their car and are rushing to the vet yeah you give right? them an excuse rather than a bad excuse right <laughs> right 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 or my my partner is upset how can i remain calm to to not feed that you know yeah so that calming of the mind or like I, I've had many surgeons over the years and many doctors that appreciate the calmness 
when they're in surgery, you know, and needing to be really hyper focused, super focused. Yes. Yeah. And remaining calm. Yeah. And that yoga practice that you're teaching them helps them do that. Absolutely. It's a skill that you can carry over into your crazy day. Well, and that, that's what it's it's about. It's not just like a 60 minute or 90 minutes. Let's go in the room and bend our body in different shapes. Right. You know, it's really helping to bring our body and mind back to its natural working order to calm the mind, to be, you know, more productive, to perhaps connect more with spirit and, and our emotions. And in many ways, too, there's a mental health therapeutic side of it. And, you know, at, at times we definitely need support and therapeutic help in our lives. Many people do. And at the same time, yoga helps us to release what are really the issues in our tissues. Because mm, I like that. Know, yeah. Our mind, our unconscious mind, you know, can create, you know, oh, I got a pain in my shoulder all of a sudden. Where did that come from? You know, and normally most injuries don't just come out of nowhere. Right. There's a cause for it to happen. Like if I was riding my bike and hit it, my shoulder on the tree, it could cause, you know, a separation or some some type of break or something else. Right. But if I'm just sitting there and all of a sudden I get a pain, it's just like, okay, what is that really? So when you start to look at the underlying issues and you start to look at the unconscious mind and the stress, you know, it's just like, okay, well, how can I release that without any medical intervention? Mm -hmm. Which is interesting because I was listening to a thing on OPB a couple of days ago. Actually, it was yesterday, I guess, on, which is Oregon Public Broadcasting. I happened to be in my car and they were talking about what's called the ACE study. I don't know if you've heard of that or anybody else. Mm -hmm. The ACE study is the Adverse Childhood Experience Study. And it was actually initiated in 1998, but it's still ongoing. I mean, it's become more and more prevalent in, in the world of medicine, which is really good, more in mainstream. But it really takes a look at adverse experiences, which we've had in our life, especially as kids, and especially pre-six years old, and how we later manifest health conditions and pain in our life mm. as a result of you know, it could be simple trauma. There's there's all sorts of different reasons that you have an adverse childhood experience. All of us have had it. There's right. nobody that has it. Right. right. And so what yoga helps us do, it helps us to release some of that underlying issue that we've been carrying around for years. We may not even realize what some of those it's are. It's there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, again, some will, some people still, some additional therapeutic support is really good. And some you just release it. You don't even know it. It's gone. Right. Right. Yeah. And so when, when you look at yoga, say, compared to aerobics, aerobic doesn't have that same effect. It has a different effect. And, you know, there's a lot of cardio effect and, and all that stuff where yoga, for whatever reason, tends to release you know, these underlying issues in our, in our, that are being held into our body. Right. Yeah. So if somebody, you know, I've, I've talked to other people on the podcast about yoga and meditation and, you know, I, I wouldn't say I'm super expert at any of it, but I do practice 
some. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody's not tried it before or they feel like um, just confused about what to do, like as a yoga instructor, where would you tell someone to start? You know, because I've been to different yoga classes. I've been to hot yoga and I felt like I, I was going to die. My daughter <laughs> took me to one one day and yeah. I literally thought I was going to die there. Oh, um, okay. I've been to classes where I show up and it's just all like just kind of like laying on the floor. And I went to one one day and a lady was like just talking and rubbing oil on our feet. And I was like, <laughs> as a as a high you know energy person, it took me a long time to just settle into that class because I just kept laying there going, is this all we're going to do? What are we going to do? I thought we were going to stretch. Like my brain was just spinning because I didn't realize that was the class I took. So just, you know, what would you tell people to do if they want to try it? You know, how do you get started? What kind of class? Well, it it sounds like that's part of what you were doing and knowing that you're more of a high energy person by going to that class. You know, on one side, you can say, okay, that class isn't for me. I need something that's a little bit more energetic, whether it's vinyasa or hot or whatever it it is. Yeah. And then on the other side, you know, I could see where somebody would say, oh, I got the monkey mind. So maybe I should just lay here and let somebody rub my feet. Well, and it, it was the reason I remember it so vividly is because I had gone there thinking I was going to just a regular yoga class because there's a yoga studio near me. And I would just look at the schedule when I had time and I'd be like, oh, they're having a class. I'm going to go because it's not that far. And when I got into that class, it wasn't what I expected. I didn't understand what I was going for, but it was a very, it was a really good exercise for me because I do have such a hard time being still. And so my brain was spinning for probably the first 20 or 30 minutes. And then I finally just like gave into it and became very relaxed and very serene and, you know, meditated and did all the, you know, things that the instructor was trying to teach us to do. And I think the reason I remember it so vividly is because it was such a struggle, but then in the end, it was so valuable. I came home and I told my husband, I'm like, that was the best thing I ever did. I feel really (laughs) relaxed. Yeah. Did you ever go back? Yeah, I've been a few times, but yeah. that was not too long before COVID because then the oh. classes kind of shut down. So yeah, but yeah, I I, look, I go to the same studio whenever yeah. I can. Yeah, but yeah. Oh. So so that like what kind of class? I mean, I don't even know what the name of it was. I don't recall. Sure. You know, when when I started yoga, there wasn't that much yoga around. And, I'm sure uh, not. Yeah, even in like Portland. It is now. Yeah, there wasn't that much. Right. Then I moved to Bend and I opened up a studio here in 03, which is Central Oregon. And we're a smaller town here. And I moved over with with my girlfriend. We opened up a a studio here. And there was less than 10 teachers in this town. I think there were seven or eight teachers when we moved here. Right. Now there's a yoga studio on every street and every other block. Yeah. You know, it's everywhere and there's hundreds of teachers here and probably out of 200 teachers, I maybe know 12 of them, okay. right? Yeah. Because there's yeah. just so many. There's in so places. many, right. Which is for the new person is actually, the, the reason I mentioned that is because a new student today has so many different options. You know, they can go find a gentle class. They can go find a more 
vigorous vinyasa class. They can go find a hotter uh, Bikram class or hot yoga class. And, mm -hmm. you know, oftentimes, you know, what we think of before we get there, even like what I heard you about the relaxing one, is that initially it was just like, oh, I don't like this, but at a certain <laughs> My brain kept class, saying... When is when are we gonna move? When are we yeah. gonna when are we gonna do downward dog? Let's what's yeah. going on here? I don't understand. My yeah. brain, like my monkeys were going crazy. Right. And then then they were let go and you go right. home and tell your husband and you go, Oh, that was such a wonderful class. Yeah, it was a struggle. Sometimes we don't great. know. Yeah. Right. And even like the hot yoga, I hated it at first. It was hot, sweaty, and stupid. I couldn't <laughs> believe people would do that. It's hot. Like it's it, yeah. I but now I, I wouldn't do yoga without it. Really? Yeah. You like it that much? I Well, it's I also understand it more. Yeah. Okay. And when, you know, Bikram came to this country in the early 70s, and when he first walked into a yoga studio, it was Honolulu, and he walked into this yoga studio, and he said, why is this cold? He says, yoga hot. He said, more benefit when hot. Now, he grew up in Kolkata, so it was hot there. It was humid. It was sweaty. Yeah. And so what they found out in India is that when you practiced in the heat and the, the warmth, which not the whole country is that way, but when you practice in that way, the benefits that you get are enhanced. Mm -hmm. So like when you, when you go in and you're using the heat, the heat helps to open up our muscles. It, it helps to get rid of those blocks in the muscles. It helps with the viscosity of the blood. There's so many different things mm -hmm. that it does. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's kind of like a hot shower, except you're in it for 90 minutes. Right. You know, it, a hot yeah. shower is about a, it's normally about 102 degrees in a, in a hot shower at home. And a hot studio is normally between 100 and 105. So it's pretty close to it. Yeah. And I've had days over the, the years and decades where for some reason the furnace wasn't working right and it was only 90 degrees. And people would leave because it's not warm enough. Yeah, they need it hotter, huh? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> not hot enough. I'll come back tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> Heat up the room. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, when I came out of there, it felt good. But man, I, was, I wasn't expecting it to be so warm. Yeah. The time that I went. I've only been to one hot yoga class. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's most people will acclimate to it if they enjoy warmth anyway yeah that, you know after a few classes they begin to acclimate and go oh, wow this feels pretty good mm -hmm. yeah. yeah i could yeah. see i mean it i do like to sweat i think sweating feels good after you do it so yeah absolutely I get why it, yeah yeah so yeah. is there is there a is there a way or is there a recommended way to get started or does somebody just go to a class do you just find a yoga class and show up and go with it and see how it goes. I mean, that's kind of what I do, but is there a better way to do it? Is there a way to, you know, work your way up? Like, what is your philosophy on that? Well, I think it's just showing up, take a class. I mean, most of us have friends that do yoga. Now yeah. what, they, what they like may be different than what we like. Right. And but it, at least you'd have like someone to go with you. Right. Yeah. 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 Oftentimes budding up is, is really great. We have lots of people that do that. Mm -hmm. Then there's lots of people that don't want to buddy up. And yeah. even like some some of the doctors that I know, 
you know, at first, you know, they would tell their patients, oh, come to yoga. And then they realized they didn't want to do that because their patients would come to yoga and then their <laughs> patients would ask them questions at yoga. Ask them right? doctor questions. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. Vet, the vets have that problem all the time. So you don't want to tell anyone <laughs> you're a vet in a yoga class. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Or or people ask me, oh, what can I do for this? Or what can I do for that? Yeah, I'm sure every time you go somewhere and they find out you're a yoga instructor, they ask you all the yoga questions, right? Yeah. 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 What, what can I do with my back? <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, tell me a little bit about, I know we were talking a little bit before we got on the podcast about like failing and how to get through failure to continue to push forward. And in veterinary medicine, when we fail, sometimes it's super serious, right? Like we're dealing with pets' lives. So what's your philosophy or your advice on that kind of thinking is getting through failure? Yeah, it's it's interesting because, you know, on one side of the equation, none of us like to fail as such. We don't like that word. Yeah, we, we certainly don't like the word. Mm-hmm. And we, we don't necessarily like the experience of it either. Yet sometimes, at least for me, I've found that those failures that I've had in my life are really what help motivate me to do something different. Mm-hmm. You know, so, you know, even even like um, when I had my legs, well, is that a failure or not, you know? The, the leg issue and, and having vascular right. disease. Well, it certainly motivated me to do something different, you know, and I was supposed to be dead a long time ago, yet I'm still alive. Several you know, times. Several times, yes. <laughs> or or even, you know, all the drinking and smoking and letting go of that. So, I mean, I've been sober for 33 years now. And so, you know, in looking at that, you know, go, okay, well, how can my failures, how can my past be an asset? So even like what we had talked about, you know, my book, Falling right. Down, Up. Yeah. The failures that are talked about in this book, you know, are followed by what I did to move through that. And right. so I can use perhaps my failures and somebody else will be helped by that. Mm-hmm. You know, some some people won't connect with me in, in that, where they might connect with um some of your your other guests like uh elizabeth uh, love you know where she talks about mental health and spiritual coach i love what she talked about yeah somebody might connect really strongly with her right and some of her ideas to overcome challenges in in her lives Mm -hmm. um and so i really think that the more that we are willing to talk about our failures because it's so easy to hide them and even like writing this book was like a huge release of just sitting down and doing the writing. For yes, the book, right. And then putting it out in the world for people to read. Mm-hmm. You know, it was huge, but it's like I had to come to the realization that what other people thought of me was none of my business. <laughs> I love so, that line. Yeah, right? it's that, true. That, you know, I, I had to think about what do I think of myself? Am mm-hmm. I going to maintain this thing? that I'm always going to be struggling with self-esteem and, you know, all these different things that I was doing, or am I going to get past that? And, and am I going to really be my best friend? Yes. 
And, you know, I've, I've heard it said in the past, and probably you have too, and the, the listeners is, if we treated our friends the way that we treat ourselves, they wouldn't be there anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We are, we, we are our worst enemy, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So what can we do to be kinder to ourselves and to be more gentle and, you know, love ourselves more and feel the connections that we want to feel? You know, whether it's relationships, whether it's spirit or regardless of, of what it is in life. Right. You know, yeah. You know, are we going to be able to help the dog's life, you know, as, as a vet or a horse or a monkey or what, whatever it is, what, whatever area we're working on? And it was interesting this morning, I ran to the store. It was early and it was still dark. And we have a lot of deer in this town like you you might too where where you live i'm not sure but yes we have a lot of deer and all of a sudden there was a deer in front of me i mean i I was going maybe 25 30 but it was just like i almost hit this deer you know in in my mind i had this vision of you know blood all over the road and this poor deer and and all this other kind of stuff and you know they, they come out and they kind of look at you and they turn and they kind of walk down the road and it's just like Okay, time to get off the road. Yeah, but I realize it breaks. Yeah. yeah. You know, so it's like, what do we do that, you know, when we fail? You know, and it, it was interesting because like that situation, you know, your your heart rate starts to increase or my heart rate started to increase. And it takes a while for it to come back down. Yes. Like if you almost get in an accident or something. Right. Right. Yeah. Comes back down. It's interesting. Warren Buffett, you know, most people know who he is, one of the most famous investors in the world. Yes. You know, he believes that if he does one, one good decision a year, he's had a good year. Wow. One That's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah one good decision. Yeah. 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 And well, then, and then that means you make a lot of bad ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A, a the difference between a baseball player that hits 280 and one that hits 300 is a couple million bucks a year yeah but when you think about it it's only one or two more hits <laughs> right right and still and it's still not a it's still they're still missing a lot right or they yeah they'd have a perfect yeah. getting average yeah yeah so i mean a the 280 hitter is what 28 out of 100 a 300 hitter is 30 out of 100 right but that means they're missing 70 times mhm yeah well and i think that analogy that that example of baseball is a good one because you know we make hundreds sometimes thousands of decisions a week and they're not always going to be right you know, and we get so wrapped up in the idea that, you know, we can't make a mistake. We need to be perfect. Um, you know, we, we get so nervous. And I think some of your talking about the yoga and the, the mind and watching the monkeys and all that is helpful because sometimes we get so wrapped up in our head about all these decisions that we're making that yeah. we let the stress get the best of us when, you know, if, if we could handle some of that stress better, we could just be okay with making those decisions and knowing that not everyone's going to be perfect. 
Right. And that when it isn't perfect, that we'll get another chance, you know, because the body's very forgiving and, you know, we don't, not every mistake that we make ends up in disaster. Right. Yeah. So I like you saying that. Yeah. You know, the story about the light bulb, you know, that it was, you know, there was 10,000 tries. Right. You know, if if after the first or second time, you know, Edison said, you know, hey, let's just forget it. Forget the I'm light bulb thing. Do this. We wouldn't even have light bulbs anymore. This is know. a bad idea. We don't need light bulbs. Yeah. Forget <laughs> it. I'm so pissed. I'm so angry at myself because it didn't work. Yeah. He just kept trying. He used it as information to do something different. Yes. So if we can take our mistakes instead of beating ourselves up but to use it as information to do something different. Right. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. Great. Well, it is so fun talking to you. (laughs) I'm, I'm really enjoying it. You have this very calm energy so I could see where you'd be a good yoga instructor. (laughs) Thank you. I love that. So is there anything that I didn't ask you that you think that I should have or anything that we want, that we want to, kind of say before we start to wrap this up and we can always do it again if we want to come back to some of this stuff sure what well, one of the things i've grown to appreciate over the years is and not everybody is in a place that they can do this but i really believe especially right now that getting out of nature is very helpful i mean yes. I'll do it after our call i'm going to run up to the woods but i live real close by so I can do that. But getting out a couple hours a week, even to walk, to hike, even to parks, is just, I think it's so vital. You know, there's so much going on in the world right now. And coming, you know, so many different things are happening. You know, the snow crabs in Bristol Bay in Alaska, like 80% of them are gone in a year. They don't know why. You know, and there's all the political struggles, there's the wars, there's the diseases and and all these things that you know come up against us but what can we do I mean I believe it's so important to be you know the best people that we can is to help love and support each other you know to be a good person and if we're a good person if we're allowing ourselves to live calmly in a a peaceful way it's going to help all those people around us right maybe an example being an example and mm-hmm. maybe we can push against some of that other stuff. And there's always things that are going to happen in the world. But can we be better people and live in a way that helps support the peaceful side of things? Yes. And I'm, I'm a huge proponent of telling stories. I, I think telling stories is so important. It's how over the centuries or centuries, the eons, that we've connected with each other how we feel you know like we touched on a a little while ago it's just like my story might help somebody your story might help somebody Mm -hmm. and i just think even if we're just sharing something with a friend at dinner you know or whether we're on stage somewhere is um you know having that willingness to talk about who we are and where we are with the idea of helping again, coming to that idea of, of supporting each other, yes. encouraging each other and being gentle on ourselves when we make the mistakes or we might not ever have a light bulb. Right. Yeah. I uh, love that. Yeah, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. 
Well, I really appreciate you being here. I've enjoyed talking to you so much. Can you tell the listeners where they can find you or your book um, if they want to read it or if they sure. want to learn more about your yoga studios or your practices if they're in the area that you yeah. live in? Can uh, they actually come to your yoga studio? Do you they, have they can. They, they, they can come if you live in the, the Bend area. Yeah. Uh, Bend, Oregon area, you can come to the studio. We also have virtual classes. Oh, so okay. Somebody Which... could could tap in anywhere, anytime from okay. any place in the world on Zoom. All right. Show, uh, tell me how to do that. Tell me how to get there. Maybe ben I'll Hyde take a yoga. class with you. Are you going to be the teacher? Um, some of them I am. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. Tell us Just how to find you. BendHighYoga.com is the studio. Okay. Uh, my uh, website is Michael B. B is in book. MichaelBHarris.com. And I don't do this on all the podcasts I'm on, but um, if somebody wants a copy of the book and they want to download it, they can go to michaelbharris.com forward slash book and you can download it for free if you nice. want, or okay. you can buy it at any bookseller, you know, Amazon okay. or Barnes and Noble or, or okay. anywhere. So, so you can really get it anywhere. Awesome. And it, again, it's falling down. Falling getting down, up. getting up. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Well, I really appreciate you being here. And um, if anybody has any questions or anything that they want to talk to Michael about, just send me an email. Uh, it's jacapeldvm at gmail.com. And I'll get in touch with him. And we'll... Um, we can do this again if people want to hear more about your story or or yoga or anything we can learn about from you. Awesome. I'd, I'd love yeah. to come back again. Yeah, I appreciate you so much. Thank you all for listening and everybody have a beautiful week. Bye, Michael. Bye.